Hello, and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I'm your host for this program, uh, which is a program that asks, hey, what if St. Paul were alive today? What if he could write a letter to America? Do you think one of the things he'd want to tell us is, hey, God is real? Well, besides St. Paul, we'll, we'll let St. Paul do a little talking for himself shortly. But before we do that, we also have somebody else here today who's going who's gonna to speak to us about the fact that, yeah, God is real. His name is David Keyes, and he has written a book, and it is called Discovering the Fullness of Reality. David, welcome to the, welcome to the program today. Well, thank you. Actually, I guess I, I misquoted that title. It's Discovering the Fullness of Reality. Yes. And the subtitle, How Partial Truths Obscured the Union of Faith, Faith and, and science. science. And your background is in science. You also happen to be a man of faith. Those two things somehow go together? Perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to look at it and, and realize that... Uh, that materialism is just one aspect of life, and spirituality is a different aspect of life, and they ask different questions in life. And, and once you understand that, you can begin to see how they both can talk about the same truth differently. Right. It's all about whether or not we believe the only thing is what we see, and what we can't see, there, there's, nothing, there's nothing there. I mean, you know, is there... Are there things that we can see, and, and is there not, are there not things that we also cannot see? Uh, a lot of people just like to assume the former and just simply ignore the latter. St. Paul was not one of them. St. Paul famously wrote, if I can say that, uh, and what he wrote 2,000 years ago to the Romans, I say he would certainly write and tell us again today. The things that St. Paul wrote are truths. They are timeless. They hold as much relevance for us today and would benefit us as much today as they did the people who first heard them 2,000 years ago, including this little piece where he said, What can be known about God is evident because God made it evident. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes of eternal power and divinity have been able to be understood and perceived in what he has made. Those who suppressed the truth, although they knew God, did not accord him glory as God or give him thanks. Instead, they became vain in their reasoning, and their senseless minds were darkened. And if you pick up this book by Mr. Keyes, Dr. Keyes, uh, you will see that. He's got instances, and I'll obviously let him go through this and, and speak to it. Um, but there are instances where some of the brightest minds in our contemporary world um, seem to have their minds darkened. They just start from certain premises uh, without uh, allowing for all the possibilities, which seems to be antithetical to science. But nevertheless, that's how it is. But uh, Mr. Ke Dr. Keyes, uh, first perhaps you can uh, uh, tell us a little bit about the book, um, you know, how'd you how'd you come to write it? But maybe maybe we should start with um, your background. And okay. yeah, uh, my background: I have a PhD in physics. Uh, I worked in a hospital setting uh, with uh, radiation therapy treatments, uh, working with the uh, the 
x-rays and the electrons and the radioactive materials and all those things for, for 38 years. And it was a, a, a service application of science. And then along came, I, I got to the point where uh, uh, with my faith, I realized that I should know my faith deeper. And I had gotten around people who were not Catholic, and they were asking questions which uh, I knew the answer, but I didn't know how to answer, which right. is a completely different thing. So I decided to go back and get a master's, and I did that while working and raising seven kids and coaching sports um, and all these different things. A master's in theology. In theology from Franciscan University. And it, and it was a wonderful experience, and it really showed me how uh, science and faith really complement each other. Kind of eye-opening it was. It was very eye-opening, and, and I w was able to, uh, uh, to handle both sides and see when they join together, you have a fuller expression of God. And the funny thing about it is, as I do more and more of these programs, and I learn more and more about our faith, uh, what's amazing to me is the amount of complementarity. You know, the Catholic Church has a very expansive theology um, that covers, you know, every aspect of human life. It's very complicated, it's very detailed, and yet it all weaves together. It's all connected. You can't find one aspect of it that is a disconnect or inconsistent with other aspects of it. I myself have found that to be true a lot of times with other other faiths, other other expressions of faith. And it's always just amazing and remarkable to me how much all of all of this, you know, very very in depth and, and comprehensive uh, theology and philosophy, it all works together. And I guess if you took a good look at the universe, you'll find the same thing. Yes. And let's go back to your quote for just a second. Sure. Your quote from St. Paul. You oh, could like just that. as easily have said that uh, science will lead you to God. And that's really what he says. And, and if it doesn't lead you to God, then you are darkened. And that's really true. So we kind of go back and look at, why is this? Why is it that many scientists do not see God? And in physics, of all the sciences, should be the one that most leads you to God, uh, except for the people who do the, a lot of the uh, evolutionary biologists. They should be led to God also. So, you know, I looked at that and I said, well, why, why is it? And it really is that we are fixated on what we do know. And what do we know? We know things because we trust other sources. So that when you're growing up, you trust your parents, you trust your teachers. Uh, you go to college, you read the textbooks. Uh, you get professional, and now you're reading journals. And all these things, you're trusting the people that what they say is true. There is no way any one person can ever explore all these aspects. You have to trust individuals. But sometimes uh, the individual's knowledge is incomplete. Sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes you misunderstand it. Sometimes maybe your parents taught you something that wasn't correct. Sometimes things are, were taught and now the world teaches something different and the world's incorrect. So the question is, how do you know what is truth? 
And so you have to really expand your view. Now, a, a scientist works in a very narrow area, typically. And his vision is very narrow. And he wants to know everything about this little aspect of life. And so when he sees all these different things, like a, uh, a, lot, of the, a lot of the physicists, and really, let me sort of go back a step. Not all scientists don't believe in God. There are many, many scientists, many Nobel, Nobel Prize winners who have a strong faith. Mm-hmm. But the ones that get in the newspapers are the ones who disagree with God. And the newspapers create controversy. And so the other side, they, they take the fundamentalists, and they're so far apart that they just sell newspapers. So, uh, so anyway, so you, they get very focused in a, in a narrow area. And so that's what they see. And if something doesn't fit that picture, oftentimes they just ignore it. Or they just say, it, it can't happen. Uh, whatever, and they don't step back and say, well, is there other evidence? If you're working in everything's physicality and someone is talking about something that's not physical, well, they don't believe in that. So many different aspects about humans, for instance, uh, the fact that we are creative. Uh, we, we're not just a, a, a set of molecules coming up with all these wonderful thoughts and songs and all these different things, uh, that can't be explained just by particles in the brain. Anyone who's done any programming knows that the program only does what you, plan, what you write it to do, and it cannot go against it. Anyone who knows about humans is that we do many things that are unique, and we do things that are stupid and dumb. We do things that are against what we know. It's called sin. And, and so we can know things, but we have freedom to operate outside of what our brain has. Our brain basically is a storage unit, and it controls things. But the important things of life are not controlled by the brain. The most important things of life are not physical. They are uh, like love, beauty, trust, justice. These are the things that are important in life, and there's no physicality to that. So I began to look, and so, so how did this get separated? Well, as I said, the, the media tends to uh, pit the fundamentalists against the uh, atheistic scientists. And so let's take a look at that. Let's take something everybody knows about, Genesis, and see if we can get these two to come together. Even from a fundamentalist point of view, which Catholics are not fundamentalists, we believe that you look at what was the intent of the writer. And that's, that's the, the, where the truth was meant to be. And then there's other layers that we can, we can gather. But if you look at uh, a fundamentalist and you look at creation, what do they see? They see that God created the world and mankind out of nothing. It was orderly. It was intentional. It was for the benefit of man so that man could come to share God's life. And that's the simple conclusion of it. And you look at the, uh, but you look at what it actually says in the Bible. It says that in the first day, and what is, what is the day? Some people Considered to be 24 hours. Uh, 
Well, it doesn't. That word could also be an eon or a long period of time. But that's not the point because you'll see in Genesis, it's not a scientific process that they're describing. More it is what God intended to do. So he creates heaven and earth on day one. On the second day, uh, he creates the uh, sky and the seas. On the third day, he creates land and vegetation. And then on the fourth day, what does he do? He takes and he fills up, completes the first day. So on the fourth day, he's putting in this, the sun and the moon and the stars. On the fifth day, he's filling up the waters. And he's putting in the fishes and the air. He fills it with birds. And then on the sixth day, he fills the land with, with creatures that move about. And so you see they, they complete each other. And then he creates man as the height, the greatest thing that he, that he creates. And so you see this process trying to tell people who know no science a revelation about why they, God created them. So what you're saying is, if I, if I understand you, that if you take a day to be 24 hours, this seems pretty, uh, <laughs> you know, pretty, pretty radical. But if you take a day, the literary term day, and consider it with some literary license, I mean, who knows, you know, um, the particular usage that the author had in mind. But if you, as you say, equate it with perhaps an eon, then what you instead, what you have from the book of Genesis is an orderly progression, one eon to the next eon to the next eon. We have an orderly progression of creation. Is that what I'm uh, understanding? Uh, uh, not completely, because okay. the, the progression, <laughs> I mean, that there is no defined time period. I mean, a day, first of all, a day is now about 24 hours. If we go back in time, which I'll talk about in a little bit, the, the day used to be a three-hour day. We used to rotate around in three hours. And someday the earth will quit rotating and he'll just be sitting there facing the sun the same way all the time, just like the moon doesn't rotate. It just, we see the same face of the moon every time we see it. So, you know, we happen to be at a time period where it happens to be 24 hours a day. Okay. So, uh, so, so anyway, it, it's not the point. The point is that, that God is creating these things and he's fulfilling these things to end up with a world that is set for man, that is anthropic. It's all intentional. If, if I recall, you had said that um, you could take Genesis and, you know, you can you can look at it in such a way that even... If you have a scientific mind and a, and a scientific attitude, you can still, you know, find Genesis to be consistent, believable, in some way. I mean, that the that the science and faith, you know, can be consistent even with the Book of Genesis. Is that right? The, the uh, Book of Genesis reveals truth, and when you look at it that way, you see this truth of why we were created by God and why things are as they are. And how man is at the uh, was the the thing that is made in his image and likeness. Nobody, nothing else is made in his image and likeness. 
And that's what you can get from Genesis, even from a fundamentalist point of view. It's even easier from a Catholic point of view where we, we understand that, that you know, from a poetic expression of trying to explain things to people that know no science. And if, if the book of Genesis explain exactly what happened scientifically, no one would understand it. How many people really understand the origin of the universe and the creation of, of various uh, quarks and bosons and, and atoms and, and how the galaxies got started? Nobody understands that. So the book is written to reveal, and this is a way it reveals by looking at what was the intent, what was the authors trying to show. And again, they end up saying that, that it was created from nothing, it was intentional, it is orderly, it's for the benefit of man. And now I'm going to go through and show you how science tells you exactly the same thing. Okay. okay? So science, for many years, it was many scientists considered the, the universe to be in a steady state. That means it was always there. Uh, they don't try to explain it. They don't have to explain it, Sarah, because it's always there. It's like, almost like pure existence. Okay? So uh, that fell apart when they began to have these theories. And Father uh, George Lemaitre was a, a Belgian priest, and he was one of the people that, that uh, through physics, said, well, it looks like the universe is expanding. And so if it's expanding, then you go the other direction, and you come point to a point where you have an uh, infinitely small point, and so there was a moment of creation. And that m met a lot of uh, uh, deridement from the physics community because it sounded too much like the Bible. But <laughs> so, Yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so that's, first of all, that's putting in your, your own uh, personal judgment that you can't have something look like something else because I don't believe it. I mean, that is, that is an amazing thing. Which, which, so the Big Bang Theory, when it first made its, its scene onto the world stage, was considered something, uh, I guess, what, too uh, novel uh, to necessarily be believable or be true. There's a lot of skepticism, a lot of derision, as you say. Uh, now we take it kind of for granted, but at the time, I guess it was a very different story. Yeah. But when you and now we we think about it, and it's like, yeah, sure, Big Bang Theory, and we're still comfortable. A lot of us still comfortable with not asking the question: Hey, is there really God that that cares for me? Is there really a God who wants me to, you know, live my life a certain way? So we can be comfortable with the Big Bang Theory, and also be comfortable with not asking the question of God when. At the same time, the very idea of the Big Bang Theory suggests, hey, one singular moment of creation, which, of course, sounds very much like the book of Genesis. Right. right. And, of course, the name Big Bang was given in derangement by Dr. Fred Hoyle, He's, who made fun of him. He says, oh, it's like a Big Bang. And, uh, and then, of course, Hubble and other people showed that, indeed, the universe is expanding. And, and they, they prove that. And so then uh, the physics community came to believe it, and, and then people believe physicists because we're such nice guys. That's why. So anyway, so the, uh, it's, because it's very accepted that there was a Big Bang. 
But they had all these other thoughts that the the, the Big Bang and the, the the universe started out, got bigger, and then it contracts, and then goes back to the Big Bang again and expands and contracts. Well, we've proven that that doesn't happen because the universe is expanding, and now it's even expanding faster than what it ever did. It will never, ever return back to a single point. So, infinity? It's going... Uh, infinity is a, a good word, whatever that means, right? What does infinity mean when yeah. it turns to space? You know, so uh, so you, we I know that I, the that the universe is expanding from a single point, and it was there was nothing there before, and so it was created from nothing. But since when they they studied, and of course. In the last hundred years, they've learned a lot more as they're able to see f deeper and deeper into space. And when you look into space, you're actually looking back into time because you're seeing light that was emitted a long, long time ago. And they've determined that the, the universe is, uh, the typical number is like 13.8 billion years ago. Uh, our solar system was made about uh, four and a half billion years ago. So anyway, when you when you when you look at this, and and you see that the the universe is ex expanding, and all the things that had to happen, it turns out that we have certain forces that we all just uh, accept. We accept the force of gravity. We weigh so much. Okay. We accept electrostatic force. You you go to the magic house. You put your fingers on the globe, and your hair stands up, if you still have hair, and. Uh, uh, there are there are strong, there are nuclear forces that keep the nucleus together, etc. Well, what happens if these forces were just a teeny bit different? So, if the force of gravity was was different by one in ten to the fiftieth, well, a trillion is is ten to the twelfth. So that would be a hundred trillion, 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 trillion. That's a huge number. And you got to remember, when you do 10 tens, that's not 20. That's 100. Uh, 100 tens is 1,000. So this is a huge, huge number that we can't really even fathom uh, what it is. So, uh, so if things were off. So it was off, we wouldn't have a universe. If it was just slightly stronger, the universe would never have expanded. And if it was more than 10 to the 50th, weaker, it would have never formed galaxies. They would have just shot out as far as they can. So everything is very fine-tuned is what the word they use. We must, be very, we must be we're very lucky that way. We're, yeah, we're just <laughs> lucky people. And then the, you have to have other things like the, the ratio of the, uh, the mass of an electron to the mass of a proton. If that's not perfect, it doesn't work. Uh, we get one thing after another. Uh, things absorb in a certain way, and that's what read, led Dr. Hoyle to to accept uh, the the theory that he he said that he ended up saying that a super intellect had had played with the laws of physics to make everything come out so perfect. Kind of have to. It's kind of. I mean, yeah. once you okay, maybe if you're willing to accept. Okay, so for this. Uh, you know what you, what you were describing whereas you know if the power you know if the strength is off just a, a small fraction you know things would never form the way they did okay and you, a trillion 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 
maybe you're going to admit, okay, for that one aspect of the physical universe, okay, well, the odds are the odds are almost in, you know, almost infinite odds. But I'll believe that we got lucky. But then you got to do it a second time. Do it again. And then you got to do it and a again. third time. <laughs> it's, it's, you're, That's you're, right. Yeah. And then then you look even when you get to the point where you're having galaxies and. Uh, we have to be in a certain kind of galaxies. There are, there are elliptical galaxies, there are irregular galaxies, and there are spiral galaxies. And the spiral galaxy is the only one that is really uh, is durable and it's got lasting long, and you can find a place where you can sit without being bombarded to death. And that's where our planet happens to be. Our solar system and our planet is right at the perfect point and our sun, when you look at the solar system, our Earth is just at the perfect distance from the sun at this time because the sun used to be hotter. And then the sun, as it burned, got colder, and then it changed the way what was being burned, and it's getting hotter. So the sun is getting hotter every day, okay? There is global warming, uh, but we exacerbate it with some of the things we do. But the sun is going to keep getting hotter. And so eventually the earth will not be suitable for life if we wait long enough. And you take places like Mars that's further out and there is no water on, on Mars per se. Well, it's too cold. But if we go back in time, it wouldn't be surprising to find water on Mars because at a time the sun was hotter. So Mars would have been the water would, would have been liquid. And so we will find that when, when we search out the things uh, on Mars. But anyway, the, Earth, the sun is getting hotter. Uh, we're going to get too hot eventually, but we live right but at that, this that, perfect that, that time take, period. Right. And I said that the Earth is spinning at 24 hours a day. You can imagine if it was three hours a day, all the winds and everything would be generated. And if we had uh, a 48-hour day, Think how long your work day would be. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, the farmers won't need daylight savings time. Uh, so that, you know, that's going to happen. And, and so we live at the perfect point in time, at the perfect location, at the perfect planet. We have even other things like Jupiter is a huge planet uh, in our system, and it's close enough that anything coming into the solar system its gravity will sweep it away from the Earth so we don't get bombarded as much as we would. So we have all these things that have to happen in a certain time frame. And the constants had to be perfect from the beginning, and things cannot change. We also have something called entropy in the universe. And this is really, really crazy because entropy tells how ordered things are. And it turns out that the... the uh, uh, universe is so ordered, we can't imagine the degree of order there was at the beginning. Okay, so what do we have so far? We have a universe that was created from nothing, according to science. It is extremely ordered, according to what the entropy initially was. It is fine-tuned. It means everything had to be exactly what it is. I would call that intentional. And then our solar system is set up so that uh, the planet rotates at the right time. It's got the right number of heavy metals for us so we can do construction. Uh, we, it, uh, it 
is the right distance from us. It's got all the right components. There are, there are about 200 things that scientists now have identified that, that says these have to happen so that our Earth would be anthropic. So now science is telling us it is from nothing, it's intentional, it's ordered, and it is uh, set up so that man can survive. And so you look at these, and even the fundamentals in this, and you find out, hey, these are two people are saying the same thing, coming from completely different points of view. One acknowledges that the, the likelihood is that a God created this. And the other one says, we don't know, we're just explaining. So one is explaining the what and the how, and the other one tries to explain the who and the why. And so you can see that these are four questions that you, when you merge together, you have a fuller sense of the true reality of things. And neither one is wrong. And when you get uh, fundamentalists who ignore the truth of science, then they're ignoring this Romans 1.19, that, that science is there to help you find God. And then when you get science saying, well, we can do this, but like uh, Stephen Hawkins did at the beginning of his book, The Grand Design, he says, well, we do not accept miracles. So he's throwing away evidence that exists because it doesn't fit his, his view so you can see how they both come to, to incomplete, wrong ideas. One time, you know, um, an example, uh, just a small personal one, but an example, I was having a discussion one time with somebody who was not a person of faith. And so I, I put to him just a very simple, logical argument. And I said, you know, so if there's no God, then somehow this physical universe, uh, this physical reality that we live in, had to be created. So, you know, I mean, so what, it, it came from nothing? Was there always a physical universe? Was there never creation? Or did something get created out of nothing? And, you know, he, he said, well, you know, science will, will figure that out one day. I said, no, no, no. It's a logical question. Can you create something from nothing? How can you possibly create? How could science explain something? I mean, logically, you don't need data. I mean, it's just a simple question of, of logic. But he didn't want to go there. And so this example that you've got with Hawking, you know, he's like, well, we're just not going to admit that these, these things exist. When if you look at the verified miracles, let's say at Lourdes, if you look at some of the miracles from Padre Pio, I mean, there are lots of miracles, lots and lots and lots of them. And, you know, if they can't be explained, then how is it that you just choose to ignore them? Because when Hawking starts his book that way, that seems like what he's doing. I choose to ignore them. And if you go back to this reading from St. Paul, he talks about this. You know, people's minds are darkened. And it almost seems as like, you know, for Hawking— you know, he's he's willing, he's deciding, he's consciously deciding, I'm going to be blind to these things. And, you know, I mean, but we we can't just, we can't do that. That's not intellectually honest. You, if you're going to, if you're going to try to approach this thing with any degree of integrity, you have to be intellectually honest. Do miracles exist? 
you know, can they not be explained? Is there another side of reality besides just the visible that, that science deals with? And that gets to what you're advocating for in this book, which is there is a fullness of reality. Hmm. And some people just choose a they don't, sliver they don't want to go, go there. Yes, and, and of course, uh, uh, Stephen Hawking is not the only person. Richard Dawkins <laughs> is, is, of course, another famous one. And he, he talks in his book, The God Delusion, about Fatima. And he comes to the conclusion and says, well, you know, I know 70 to 90,000 people saw this and they reported it was in the newspapers and the, the government who hated the church was there and, and all these things. But, you know, I don't believe it. Therefore, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, and you know that's. But of course, there's, there's physical. I mean, you talk about, you talk about things like Fatima and so forth. Um, you talk about a lot of uh, you know religious aspects in your book. I mean, Fatima wasn't just something some people saw. You could have a mass delusion. I don't know seventy thousand people. That's that's a pretty hefty mass over, delusion over a twenty mile radius. Over that's that's a pretty hefty one, sure. But even if you're willing to believe that, how about the eyewitness accounts where? They were drenched, it had been raining, they were soaked, and then as soon as this event was over, everything was, was dry as if it was fresh cleaned, came from the cleaners. How does that happen? Are they all lying then as well? Uh, you know, There's a, a, a tendency that if you have something you can't explain and you refute one aspect of it, you just say, well, there. And, and leave it go. Let, I don't let have it to worry go. about the rest. You don't, you don't address the rest. And, you know, it's the same thing about uh, design. And but, of course, you can flip that backwards. If you can't refute the second thing, maybe your first refutation, the refutation that you made of the first point isn't correct. Misunderstood. The mass delusion thing might not be correct. Yeah. These people. And so, you know, they just only approach it from one direction. Mm-hmm. Um we, you know, there's a big thing about design or not, intelligent design, and you're not allowed to teach it in school. But yet you get people like, uh, uh, again, uh, Richard Dawkins in the beginning of his book, The Blind Watchmaker, he, st- he starts out with saying how everything appears to be uh, designed, but, you know, don't believe it. <laughs> and then, and so- then uh, uh, Francis Crick. Who DNA? Who got the Nobel Prize for discovering DNA? He, he says, when you study this, you're going to see that this all appears to be DNA is designed, but it's all evolution. It's all random, and and so people have addressed this now because this is a big issue. So once we got the the Earth in the right place, and uh, and then it, it, after uh, at 3.9 billion years ago. Science has discovered the first element of life, and these are little anaerobic cells, meaning they don't need oxygen, and they start developing at that time, but they develop from inorganic materials, from materials that have no life. So you're going from no life to life, just like there was no universe to universe, okay? And so you have this, this, all of a sudden you have life, and, and they show that over a period of time, you got single cells, single cells, and eventually you get cells that, that can use oxygen, okay? And you get cells that can start to do photosynthesis. And you're going over a long period of time, and you still got single cells, and then you get a, a clumpy cells where you don't really know whether they're animal or plant, but they have no bones or anything like that. 
And then all of a sudden you get to the Cambrian explosion, where in a very short time you get you get uh, skeletons and you get uh, exoskeletons, you get eyeballs, you get hearing, you get senses. And it's not just in one little instance. It's the whole, uh, all of life. Not, of course, not 100% of life, but nearly all of life gets eyes and and a way of hearing and a way of, you know, maybe it's ultrasound, like bat to, bats do ultrasound, which Richard Dawkins likes to talk about. And, but but all this, this is in a short time. And so the question is, well, how long does it take to do all this? And even the, the, the aspect of life. See, when they discovered DNA, this was a big thing because before they thought, well, you throw in the right chemicals and something happens. Now with DNA, you find out that what happens there has to be information involved, and that the the uh, uh, molecules have to go together in a certain order, and if they don't go in that order, it doesn't work. And you take something simple uh, like flipping a coin, and and you say, what's the odds of getting three heads in a row? When you you do two to the three, and you get eight. Okay, one and eight. Okay, so now you get uh, molecules that have to be there in the very first cell. The, the DNA, or an RNA at least, has to be there in the very first cell, and there has to be proteins around it that were made that, uh, that at the same time, and you have to have something that regulates the temperature and, and re knows how to repair the cell and all these things. But you just take one little RNA molecule, you take one at 250 uh, uh, 250 amino acids in a row, okay? The odds of the getting in the right order is, is so large that if, if you had these cells, these amino acids come together and they're not in the right order and you broke them up and every second you tried to get them in the right order, it would be well beyond the length of time that the universe has ever started, <laughs> you know, not even close. You know, we're, we're talking about trillions and trillions of, of time it would, for a single cell to have formed. So these things happen in an extremely short time. And when evolution occurs, uh, we understand it. And, and the work of, of, uh, of, with the early part of discovering evolution, you know, they're, they're talking about the, the finches. Okay, well, finches having different things because they're on certain islands and whatever, but they were still finches. It's a big step to go from finches to a black bear, you know, or wherever you go back. Something goes, and it, there's just not enough time, and you have to have enough information. And it didn't exist. And it's really strange because Richard Dawkins, again, in his book, he tries to see how evolution can do it because it's not just a random act. It's a random act based upon what happened in the previous generation. So it's a cumulative act. So he says the old thing about you take monkeys and you put them in there and you're going to type a sonnet, a Shakespeare sonnet. Well, he concedes that that won't happen. Uh, there's no way you can do that. It'd take too long and... Because if, if you give a monkey enough time, I guess for people who, are, who don't really understand what you're referring to, if you give it, you put a monkey in front of a keyboard and he randomly punches out, you know, certain keys, 
Most of the times it's gibberish, but you give him enough time, and eventually he'll produce a beautiful sonnet. Yes. Mm, maybe and, not. And that's and he can see that's not. But he took a single phrase, and he thinks it is a weasel. And he says, well, let's see what we can do. And so he takes this, and he randomly puts out the letters, and then he selects what is the best fit. Okay, And then he makes some other changes. And he selects what's the best fit, and he looks at, uh, does other, and he's selecting what is the best fit. And it only takes him 43 times to get this phrase, and he thinks it is a weasel. Well, that's a pretty short time. But what is happening here is that he is selecting the letters because he knows what the end result is going to be. And he's selecting the letter because he is an outside person directing the process. And this is what we say in Christianity or any religion, that God knows what he's going to create and he accomplishes it by oversight. And so we, the church teaches that we are here through the providence of God and, we, and it's through God's continual prov- providence that we exist. So this is right out of the catechism. Uh, and so it agrees with everything that, that we know. The only way that an evolution does, there's evidence for it. We, we know that uh, between humans, the, all humans' DNA agree within 99.9%. And between us and a chimpanzee, our DNA is 99% the same. And when we look at, we go down the, the thing, the mice, it may be like 80%, and, and dogs may be like 70%, but plants are still... 50% same DNA sequence. So it appears that all these things develop, but when you get to these important as a part of the process and these random things are happening, they're not truly random. They, these things happen over a period of time, and it goes from one generation to another, and it appears that God used evolution, but it wasn't a, a process without any oversight. So we have providence, divine providence. And it just, it's just wonderful because it goes right along with what the theologians have said all these years, not knowing the science because the science has only been here 100 years. Uh, but they merge and they complement each other and they're saying the same thing. The more we study, the more we're finding out that, that these two are saying the same thing, approaching from a different point of view. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, but some of these, these things that you're talking about where, you know, if you just look at the facts, if you honestly look at the science, you'll see, oh, this this will take too much time. It's just not possible. Or, you know, or, you know, this, that. Or, I mean, these things are known to these scientists. I mean, scienti- I mean so- scientists are human, right? I mean, yeah. they make mistakes and they have biases and mindsets. And they want to believe certain things. I mean, if what you're telling us is that, you know, if you really look at the science, you'll admit that these things are not possible on their own. There's just not enough time. Um, you know, the order, I mean, you know, 100 trillion times 100 trillion, you know, the odds are just too great. Uh, but they believe them anyway. I mean, they, they, they believe that there is no God. They believe anyway. I mean, that's really what we're talking about, right? I mean, if you're discounting these facts, then you're believing 
something else. Well, they're seeing a partial truth. Because they, like uh, Richard Dawkins, he sees the partial truths about evolution. And all these things seem to follow from an evolutionary pattern. But when it comes to things that don't work, he, he even says in his book that we were extremely lucky. And then he talks later on that we were apportioned a certain amount of luck. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's... He, he takes what he knows and he sticks with what he knows and he can't see from one step to another that this doesn't work. There has to be an outside intervention that goes. And we're not talking about God of the gaps. That's a, another uh, phrase you hear about where God at a certain point steps in and he changes us uh, and then steps out again. We don't believe in a God. We believe in a God that is present every day. We believe in a personal God. We believe that, that God came to save uh, individual persons, but he came to save all of people at the same time. It's, not, it's, it's an overall presence that we have with God, and, and it's every day. Uh, and so we can communicate with that God. So it's really, it's really just so interesting to see how all these things fit. And like I say, the, the, the greater the research, the more you see the unlikelihood of something having occurred just, just by chance. random by chance. Yeah. There's not enough time. So, And then there's a question. Some people say, well, what about aliens? You know, we've got all this, <laughs> this evidence of aliens. And, and I say, well, evidently, if there is truly aliens, it only happened one way because it's so unlikely for the humans to be created it must. It would also be the same unlikelihood for an alien to be created. Just by and chance. so, if it if it happened, it's because God wanted it to happen. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen on its own. It's got the same hurdles we have to have. We have, from a just a science point of view, we know that the nearest there there is no planet that they found that has all the characteristics of the Earth. There's some that are the right size or maybe the right distance, but nothing with all the characteristics. But if there is one, they're so far away, you know, that if it's going to take trillions of years, well, actually, we've only been around for uh, 13.8 billion years. So if it's going to take all that time to get to the Earth, what type of relationship could we have? Is that, you know, maybe maybe there's somehow... A something we haven't found that will allow people to travel uh, quicker. But as you say, so science can look at certain things. Um, religious faith and theology can look at other things. And, you know, no one sphere of intellectual inquiry can get everything. So if you have an open mind to things, you're going to look at what science can offer. You're going to look at what theology and religion can offer. And if your mind is open to both, you can allow both. This is not a zero-sum game. Yeah. You can allow both, can you not? Um, you can believe in science and still believe in, in, a, in, a, in a loving God. And uh, there are lots of things you can look at to see that, but that's really what this, this book is really all about, mm-hmm. that there's a fullness. Um, and so if, if you're looking for something that's going to help you, something that's going to, you know, at, you know open up some of these scientific questions for you, and at the same time also uh, talk about certain uh, you know, issues of our, of our faith um, 
and you know uh, can help you get to a fuller understanding, at least help you open your mind to both, uh, then this book would be uh, yeah. a good opportunity to to explore those ideas. This book is available through uh, En Route and Route Books and Media, uh, which is also uh, an affiliated organization to the one that's bringing you this this podcast. We just throw that in. But anyways, <laughs> uh, so the book uh, is by Dr. David Keyes, Discovering the Fullness of Reality. And, you know, when you, when you do open your mind up to the fact that both can be true, then another thing kind of happens. Um, you can feel a little bit more at peace, yeah. you know, more harmony. I mean, the universe has this tremendous harmony. And if you open yourself up to both of these, what, you could perhaps <laughs> be in a way in, in more harmony with the universe yourself. Certainly, um, you know, Father Levitre uh, wasn't afraid to admit both. Um, so it's that's another, that's another one of these... Um, these things, I guess that's just an example right there in and of itself. You know, I mentioned the fact that there's so much in Catholic theology that, that fits together, that's consistent with so many other things. And, uh, you know, this idea of peace is certainly one of them. Um, and it's, it's hard for us to even feel peace. Uh, but there's something very natural about it. There's something very pleasant about it. And it's also funny, when you allow your faith to grow, you can feel more at peace. If you feel truth, and we're, we are to pursue truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, uh, that means that you can't just approach the world from a spiritual point of view. You can't just approach it from a scientific point of view. If you want a fuller expression of what life is all about, you approach it from all points of view. Even throw in things that we didn't get a chance to talk about, creativity, things like the conscience, things like uh, near-death experiences. It kind of shows that there is a body-soul uh, combination that we are created with. There is so much out there to all pointing in the same direction, all pointing to God. Yeah, I mean, just take the what you mentioned, one of the things you just mentioned, the near-death experience. So Catholic theology has maintained... Uh, ever since the Catholic Church has been around, that there's a body and a soul, um, that Christ was the incarnation of you know a human form with with the divine, um, and that in a similar fashion, in some kind of image of of God, um, you know we have this 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 physical body, and yet we also have a spiritual aspect to us. We also have a soul, and people have these near death experiences. They'll talk about. Um, situations where they'll be their own body, they'll see their own body, and later on when they come back, they'll see things happening. They'll recount something that happened in an adjacent room, which they could not have seen unless they got above their own body and saw outside their own body. Um, but you have to allow yourself to be open to that possibility, yeah. I mean, mentally, to be intellectually honest. You know, and if you're a scientist, how does that happen? How does that happen just from, you know, physical aspects alone? Yeah, well, I mean, let's throw in the, the blind people who have never seen that come back after a near-death experience and they describe things that they cannot have known. So just there's just plenty of evidence. But it, it really kind of fits together because we have a body, and, and when, we're, when the spirit is in the body, you are limited by the body. 
So if you're in a person who has been in a car accident, you have the same spirit, but he cannot communicate because the vehicle, the body, has been damaged. And some people are blind. Some people, uh, they, they have a body that gives them, uh, that makes them ADHD, okay? And so you, you, you have this fighting back and forth. But when they separate, separate you find that the, the spirit comes back and, and they have had emotions and they have memory and they have all these things. And we also talk about in religion about uh, imbued knowledge where something suddenly a person knows something without having uh, gone through the process of physically reading and learning it. Uh, and so you have this, it, it kind of explains that and that we have a spirit, we're kind of, we get the body we get, we do what we can to overcome the deficiencies of the body so that body and soul. But we are, uh, without the body, our soul is incomplete. Without the soul, our body is incomplete. So it's it just all fits together with it, Catholic theology. It, it does fit. It does indeed. So... Um, so, Dr. Keyes, I want to I want to thank you for for being with us today. Thank you for taking the time to explain some of these things. I know we only got an opportunity to touch it's, on. It's so much fun to talk about because <laughs> there's, there's so much there. It's just incredible. And there's so much more in the book, and we've only been able to touch on a few of them. Uh, but if you if uh, you want to delve more into this, the, uh, please do uh, get the book. It is an enjoyable read. Discovering the fullness of reality, how partial truths obscure the union of faith right. and science. And there is a union there. And uh, and you can get on Amazon and all the standard places. Oh, beautiful. The website. Beautiful. Yeah. beautiful. Well, as I say, once again, thank you for being with us today. And, and to those listening, thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope this has been uh, provocative, as, as we always uh, seek to try to make these these programs. And it's just amazing how you talk about things fitting together and St. Paul is describing in this passage that we read what we're seeing in some of these brilliant scientists today. 2,000 years ago, he's writing about certain people and saying their minds are darkened. And yet we have people today with all the benefit of all this tremendous scientific knowledge that we have. And yet still, they seem to fall prey to the same description of you know, having their minds darkened willingly not wanting to look at certain things. Um, so um, anyways, as I say, we thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us again. And until the next time, God bless. God bless.